0: Welcome to the Sabbath School Rescue Podcast with your hosts, Buster Swoops and Michael Campbell. Each week, we dig deeper into the Sabbath School lesson. Now, this quarter, we're looking at the book of Daniel. Michael and I have the privilege to teach religion
1: at Southwestern at University. We both love to teach and have pastoral hearts. Together, we have 18 years of pastoral ministry experience. Although we share a lot of similarities,
0: we also come with some unique perspectives. Buster has a passion for evangelism and church growth. He is just about to begin doctoral studies in how to revitalize churches. He's one of the most creative persons that I know, yet has a deeply caring heart. I look forward to when he preaches. And among other classes, he teaches preaching and leads out in our pastoral interim program. Buster is married to Lauren, who teaches English to ESL students, and they have two children, Neil and Raina. And right now they're active with Adventurers, I admire how he is very intentional to stay balanced by working out, lifting weights, and making time for family. Michael's
1: expertise in in areas of church history and theology. He and his family most recently served as missionaries teaching future pastors in Asia. He loves to write and has authored, co-authored, and edited seven books, including his latest on the 1919 Bible Conference. His wife, Heidi, is pursuing a Ph.D. in early modern studies at Baylor. They have two children, Emma and David, and Michael directs their local church Pathfinders Club. So now, let's dig in into this week's lesson on the book of
0: Daniel. Welcome to lesson three as we are exploring from mystery to revelation. We're digging deep into the book of Daniel chapter two. Tell us, uh, Buster, where, where, where's our memory text from?
1: Our memory text this week is from Daniel chapter two, verse 20, and this is the English standard version. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might.
0: Now, I really like this, this third lesson in this quarterly because we're coming back to this recurring theme about how God is in control, that, that he is there overarching all of world history. So help us understand a little bit about uh, the context for this week's lesson.
1: You know, Daniel, uh... The Sabbath afternoon's lesson starts off with just talking about currents of winds and gusts and also talks about the difference between the strength of the current and trying to make way of saying, look at the balance between man's actions versus God's actions. But the thing about it is we experience both and God is in both and he's in charge. And at the same time, you see, once again, this man's choice comes into play as well.
0: So it seems like we have uh, here this God engaging humanity once again. He's kind of stepping in, intervening, uh, and in a very uh, intentional, providential kind of way, he's getting the attention of humankind.
1: Absolutely, he is, which spills us directly into Sunday's lessons talking about the imminence of God. Uh, Michael, how would you describe the imminence of God?
0: Well, I, I like that because we've been talking about God's uh, overarching uh, providence and everything, but but eminence is, is clearly indicating that God is making himself tangibly known to human beings. So he's making himself real or eminent in the lives of these individuals.
1: Yeah, so, so we're not deists. We don't believe that God's far off and He's just watching us. He's actually involved in not only our lives today, but he was involved in the past as well.
0: I like how we talked about in some previous episodes, how God enters into time. You know, God is sovereign. He's the God of the universe. God is above and beyond all time. And yet he exists and and enters into time itself uh, where, where we as human beings are. And so he's a relational God. And I think that's part of this idea of eminence is this idea of relationships, of being relational.
1: Yes, yes, it is. And speaking of being relational here, uh, the lesson points out in Daniel 2, verses 1 through 16, it, it asks this question, what crisis do the Hebrews face because of the dream that the Lord gives the king? And if you are not familiar with this, uh, I won't read the whole passage right now, but please go over it. But there's this dream that Nebuchadnezzar has, and as a result of it, he puts everyone out on blast. He's saying, you know what, if you don't tell me what the meaning of this dream is, it has to be so troubling that I'm going to have to go ahead and destroy everyone, right?
0: Well, you know... Have you ever had a just kind of an interesting dream where you kind of um i you know have as a father you know my kids you know sometimes have these very unusual or strange dreams and and yet uh there's something different about this dream it's not just a an unusual dream or uh but God is actually intervening through uh, this this uh this dream into the life of nebuchadnezzar
1: yes and and I love it because it ends here. With uh, verse 16, so Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time that he might tell the king the interpretation. And uh, I don't want to skip ahead, but we find out exactly what Daniel's going to do, which is the imminence of God, we actually have to seek it out, right? Um, he's been there the entire time, but we actually have to look for it.
0: Well, I think that's a perfect segue to, to Monday's lesson, which is talking about prayer. And in the midst of this challenge, and, and he's been given this sort of ultimatum, to all of the, the, the wise men and, and, and all of the magicians, then astrologers back in Babylon to interpret the dream and their life is on the line. I mean, it's one thing to interpret a dream, but to actually know that if you don't come up with the answer, uh, you're, you're in trouble. You're dead meat
1: off with your head. (laughs)
0: And, and so, you know, when we face crises like this, I, I like the example of Daniel where he immediately turns to, to prayer, uh, knowing that this is an impossible situation from a human standpoint. How can you, you know, it's one thing to interpret a dream, but how can you tell the person the dream when they're not willing to actually tell you what it is?
1: You, you know, and, and once again, going back to um, a humanistic perspective, if you will, God is wanting us to do the same. Whenever crisis arrives in our lives, A lot of times he's the last resort that we go to when he's asking, please, let me be your first. Uh, I'm here with you. I'm here for you. And we see that once again through the story that God can be trusted.
0: You know, I I just can't help but think of my own life. And and I'm sure those of our listeners that all of us are in the midst of different situations. And if if we had the opportunity, you know, um, to be authentic uh, in terms of sharing what challenges we have, we all have challenges. I know I do. Uh, But when we Face that to to be driven to our knees and to say, Hey, God, um, I'm being real with you now. Um, This is the challenge I'm going through. And I think God wants us to be that kind of authentic say, you know, be real and and talk to me about what's really going on.
1: You know, He does because when we go to Him first, uh, our prayer turns into Daniel's prayer, which is Daniel chapter 2, verses 22 and 23. He reveals deep secret things, He knows what is in the darkness. And light dwells with him. I thank you and praise you, O God of our of, of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and might, and have now made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made made known to us the king's demand. You know, uh, when we go to God, He's saying that He'll answer us, and we can then. And I, I know the lesson later on tells us to go to Psalms 138, which is a a praise of thanksgiving. Of saying, God, thank you, because I trusted you. Now I can praise you. I can I can thank you for, for even answering our prayers.
0: Yeah, you know, my mind immediately goes to the story of the lepers, you know, where yes. they were healed by Jesus. So here they had come with their supplication, their request, which was dire. It was life or death for them too. And and, and Jesus healed them. Yes, he did. And and then but only one afterwards took the time to say express gratitude to say, thank you.
1: Yeah. He comes back and he says, thank you.
0: And I remember Jesus asking us, where, "Where
1: are the rest of the nine, right? And sometimes we can look around and we say, "Where are the rest of the nine. But I know that uh, as Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Uh, if someone else is not going to pray, God, give me the strength mm-hmm. and ability and wisdom to pray mm-hmm. and to remind others to do the same.
0: So asking prayers of petition, you know, but then also to take those moments to say, hey, thank you, God. Thank you for what you've done. In Psalm 138 for our listeners, if you haven't read that Psalm, need a little bit of encouragement, that's a great place to turn and just pause at some point today. And maybe you and God uh, spend a little time, uh, whichever part of uh, your own walk with God you may be at, but to take that moment. Um, I, I love Psalm 130. It's one of my favorite Psalms, the Psalm of David. I have it highlighted in yellow in my Bible just because it's meant so much to me uh, as as a expressing gratitude, taking those moments for gratitude. And you know, um,
1: we were talking about encouraging the others to do so. Uh, I, w- I think it would be amiss if we didn't remind the, the listeners that when Daniel's petitioning uh, God, he goes in with his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and and as they're going together and they're praying together, that's when God reveals. And so just remember, you don't have to pray together. You don't have to pray alone. You can pray together as well.
0: In fact, I, I found some of my most most rewarding moments where I've grown spiritually when I find other people uh, and maybe in a small group and can just uh, not only study the Word of God, but to spend time praying and encouraging one another. Uh, those Those are just incredibly, profoundly meaningful moments.
1: Yes, indeed. So, uh, what was, what did Daniel actually find when he prayed and God revealed to him uh, Nebuchadnezzar's dream? What happened?
0: Well, we better look at uh, what they were thankful for, right? Yes, sir. Well, Daniel chapter 2 is this epic uh, story of an image. Uh, And and here we're actually recording uh, in the uh, barren building, which is where we teach theology classes. And and I know both of our offices, we have these statues of this image uh, that are described for us here. And uh, this had to have been something else to have seen this in the dream for King Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, Once uh, this dream is revealed to Daniel and he shares with him, and there's this uh, exclamation that uh, here is the solution to the mystery, that there is a God in heaven and, and this dream that has been uh, given to Nebuchadnezzar, now also to Daniel. And, and here we have described for us this image, but it's different than just any ordinary image. This is an image that is quite unique. How, how is this image unique?
1: Uh, well, we see it here. Um... And let me, let me start by going by Daniel 2, 24 through 30 is saying, Daniel's reminding him, this dream didn't come to me by my own ways, but through God, and I'm going to tell you about my God and so much. So I'm going to impress you with this, but uh, verses 31 through 49, he talks about this, this image with the head of gold and the chest of silver and uh, the waist of bronze. And then we, we goes on down all the way down to the ceramic of a mix of ceramic and iron there at the feet. And he's giving him this image. And I can imagine Nebuchadnezzar's jaw just dropped. Like, how in the world is he doing this? <laughs> and God is doing this, right? Mm. But then he, he ends with this with saying, talking about a stone that's cut out and then goes on and destroys this statue, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, it's it's this all of these descriptions of different components that make up the image. And each of them has a very interesting um, characteristics. So gold... You have just like you said the silver and the bronze and then the the feed of of clay and iron um, and each of these uh, begin to describe something very significant because uh, we'll go on later to see that that Nebuchadnezzar he he's not very happy with this because uh, here it's describing all of uh, world history and successive kingdoms. But he wants his kingdom to last forever. And, and and he's clearly identified right there at the beginning. Daniel, uh, I, I don't want to get too far ahead of us here, but uh, as this head of gold.
1: Yeah. You, you know, and that's the thing. Nebuchadnezzar was trying to set up his kingdom. And Daniel was sh- sharing with him, I stand for someone else's kingdom. And the I did think the lesson did a great job of correlating John chapter 15, verse 5, which is, I am the vine, you are the branches, right? Right. Uh, So, Nebuchadnezzar, you think you're the head, but you're really not in charge. God is still in charge.
0: I think we all kind of need those reminders, don't we? I mean, once in a while that uh, we like to think that we're in control of our destiny, or in this case, here's this king who believes that he's going to rule the earth and uh, would like to believe that he could do it forever with his uh, progeny, but uh, God saying, hey, you're, you're limited. You, and back to this kind of idea of God is sovereign and, and yet uh, reminding of uh, ourselves of, and here in the case of Nebuchadnezzar, we have limitations.
1: Yes, we all do. And I'm going to say this, praise the Lord that we have limitations because it helps us to become stronger in our weaknesses because we're actually in a stream. Isn't
0: that the truth? I mean, uh, uh, yeah. So moving on here, uh, what, what about the rest of the image and uh, the successful or the success of, of additional kingdoms after this? Um, this is this is a famous story here in the narrative of Daniel. Um, how do we know that each of these uh, different aspects actually represents different kingdoms? It's not just wishful thinking. That how do we actually know this biblically, uh, Buster?
1: You, you know, uh, one of my favorite professors of the past was. Uh was actor, uh, Dr. Lloyd Willis, and he was a biblical archaeologist. And he found this thing called a seal that was in the book of Daniel that people said he didn't exist, and he said, no, he exists. So history, archaeology, the biblical text itself proves that these were actually kingdoms that came one after the other.
0: So you're telling me this isn't wishful thinking. There's actually solid evidence behind this. Absolutely. There's tons of evidence. Well, I like that because, you know, as, as Christians, sometimes we like to think, you know, is is the Bible actually reliable? Can can we really trust God's word? And and what I'm hearing you say and, and from our own study here, and I think the lesson points out in Daniel chapter two is is God saying, Hey, you can trust me. Look, I know the future and I know how human history is gonna play out. And here I'm letting you know in advance, um, this is what's gonna happen. And sure enough, it it did.
1: Yes. You know, uh, so much so that some people said, well, there's no way that the book of Daniel could have been written when it was written. It was written way after because there's no way that anyone can know. And you're right. There's no one, anyone, no way anyone can know. But there's a way that God can know because God is sovereign. God is omniscient.
0: Well, that just makes the, the hair on the back of my, my neck, you know, stand up a little bit because we're actually realizing that, you know, this is something, this is a God thing that only only God can do. Um, and and yet we have reliable evidence that shows all the way back to the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar, uh, this these were real kingdoms that actually existed, and 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 here we have solid evidence that that God knows the future.
1: You know, uh, th- I have to make a little bit of a segue here, Michael, because I know you know a lot about this this area. But can you explain to us the difference between foreknowledge and predestination?
0: You know, that's a that's a great question because. Uh, uh, there's two different schools of thought about, in, in terms of theologically speaking, you know, uh, and, and there's one group that want to say, well, God knows um, uh, everything. He knows his decisions we're going to make. We call that kind of uh, for, or uh, uh, predestination with Calvinism and so on. Uh, and with all due respect to those that, that think that, we also see that although God knows the future, he also respects our individual decisions, and and so well, um, and so there's this difference between the two. And God respects personal free will and free choice. And, and and those of our listeners that are that are listening, Adventists are not Calvinist. We we're actually what we call Arminian, based on Jacob Arminius, the idea that free will, free choice. All you have to do is look to our early Adventist pioneers, even Ellen White. You read the book, Steps to Christ. She emphasizes uh, decisively that 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 we're not like robots where God predetermines the outcome. God God actually respects our individual choice and allows us to make those choices. While at the same time, he still knows. And that's what foreknowledge is. God knows the outcome at the end, but he doesn't manipulate it to a certain way. God still respects us as Christians creatures giving us that free choice.
1: Yeah, and we saw that play out last week in the city of Nineveh uh, in the lesson last week, and we see it played out all throughout the Bible where God respects those choices, but he also doesn't manipulate the situations. He is God. That's why we can't trust him.
0: I I love that. What a great God that we have uh, that allows us that free will, that free choice that we have. And not only that, but also still reminds us and says, "Hey, I'm still, I'm still there, and I'm in charge." And and here's how human history is going to play out, but it's playing out to a, a great purpose. And and as Adventists, we also talk about this um, great controversy narrative, this cosmic conflict taking place between Christ and Satan. And and so there's this bigger picture here that the biblical narrative reminds us is is taking place.
1: Uh, thank you so much for that, Michael. And for those of you who are you know are driving you don't have a chance to look down the head of gold represents babylon the chest and arms of silver represent media persia the belly and thighs of bronze symbolize greece the legs of iron uh, they represent rome and the feet partly of iron and clay are represented by a divided europe uh, so i hope you got that in a nutshell because next comes the next kingdom and, and what is that michael
0: well, you know, you mentioned right at the at the end earlier that there's going to be a stone, and it's significant. This is not any ordinary stone. Um, this is a stone that is made without hands. And so it's clearly uh, recognized as, as um, you know, it's kind of a curious thing. In, in the ancient um, uh, Near East, when, when people would build uh, like an altar to worship at, that uh, you can always tell a biblical altar from a, uh, say, a a, a pagan or some other kind of deity of that time. And one of the simple ways you know that is that... um, if an altar was cut, the stones were cut, then you know that that altar is a pagan altar because the biblical description for the ancient Jews was that it had to be stones that were made without hands. There's no cutting of the stones. So this is just raw stone itself. And 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 part of that is to recognize in, in the sanctuary service and those altars and everything else that, that God we don't have any part to play in our, our human salvation. We don't cut and mold those stones upon the mm-hmm. altar in which we worship. And and here, this is also reminded us here is a stone made without human hands. It's not been altered or cut in any kind of way. This is just a raw stone itself as God made it. And only God himself is the one who can come and put an end to human history. And here we have this beautiful description of the stone that comes and basically destroys the image. It's it's demolished.
1: All, all I can say is preach, Michael, preach. <laughs> I love that. Oh man, this is so good. Uh, you know, as I was looking looking at this, where where do we find solstice in this? Where do we find comfort in this? Because also this is this is talking about cataclysmic things at the end, and that usually that brings fear and trepidation upon people. How is it that we can actually find solstice in thinking about the end?
0: Well, you know, we talked last week, and I, you know, I remember as a kid thinking about end time events, being really scared, <laughs> and uh, you know, how can I be ready? You know, all the things that I have to do, and and I realized that as I was trying to be prepared for end time events, that the focus was on me, and what I had to remember is that you know, it's God that's in control, and it's God that will sustain His people through the end of time, and and we, we the other thing I think is important to note, uh, Buster, is that throughout successive kingdoms of human history, then. Um, that there's going to be no mingling. There's the, the clay and the iron. It's all yes. mixed, you know, and there have been people who have tried to take over this world.
1: Yeah. Unsuccessfully. Unsuccessfully. Yes.
0: Napoleon, he wanted <laughs> yeah. to take over Europe.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: In the end, he failed. He did. We have Hitler, World War Two. He wanted to conquer the world.
1: Yes, he did.
0: He wasn't able to. Yeah. And so we're just reminded once again that God is still sovereign. He's in control. No matter what human beings may want to, to do to, to become a superpower and take over everything else, yet, yet God's still there.
1: Yes, he is. And when he comes back, he's not coming back just to destroy the wicked. He's, he's coming back to claim his righteous ones, those who have been faithful to him, those who love him. And, and I, that's, that's also where I find my solstice. So thank you so much, Michael.
0: Well, God's in control, and, and that's, that's, I think, the ultimate outcome of this uh, lesson here is we're reminded that uh, throughout the narrative, all of Bible prophecy, which might sound a little intimidating at first, but we're just reminded that uh, God's still in charge, and in the end, there's a happy ending. It may look a little bit scary if you don't know what's going on, but it's good news. Amen. You know, I, I'm reminded of this old show called Father Knows Best. Well, this,
1: this time, Father, Son, and Spirit, they know best. We can trust God because, once again, He is in control.
0: As we put a wrap on this week's lesson, this is Campbell Swoops signing off. By the way, we want to give a shout-out to our sponsors, the Southwestern Union of Seventh-day Adventists and Southwestern Adventist University, which has, for over 125 years, provided a Christ-centered education just 20 minutes south of Fort Worth, Texas. We love teaching with personal colleagues,
1: offer quality academics, and provide numerous ways to get involved both on campus and across the globe. To learn more, visit swau.edu or check us out on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Also, be sure to join us again next week as we continue to explore God's Word. You can make sure not to miss an episode by joining us at SabbathSchoolRescue.org.